Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. We're in Esther uh, chapter 9, and um, as, as I have been with Esther, it's more of a story, so I won't necessarily read all of the verses here, um, but know that we'll pick up our thought about verse 20, and we'll go to the, really the end of the book in, in what, we, what we say here. And I want to begin by just recounting a little bit of what's gone on to, to this point, in case you've forgotten about the story of Esther. You've got a situation where there's a king named Ahasuerus. He has a queen named Vashti. And uh, the long and short of it is he gets tired of her. That's just how it comes out. He just gets tired of her and says, I want to get another one, um, which is a terrible way for any man to treat anybody, much less a, a, a woman, but anybody. should. No one should be treated like that. Uh, but his wife, of course, should definitely not be treated that way. But nonetheless, uh, God knew that this man would be full of pride, full of arrogance, full of himself. And he would allow, and he would sort of orchestrate everything so that there would be a woman in place named Esther who would be right there when it was time to step into that position to be able to be the queen uh, for Ahasuerus. And it was perfect timing. If I, was not, if, I, if I didn't believe in God, I would say it was just perfect coincidence that at the same time there was a man who cooked up a plan because he got mad at another man cooked up a plan to eradicate the Jewish people from the, from the land, uh, from, really from the earth. He was going to just destroy them all. He was going to commit what we'd call a genocide, take off that whole race of people. And, of course, she is in the, in the king, kingdom at that time. She's there influencing the king. And her, um, uh, her uh, cousin, a man named Mordecai, he tells her, listen, this guy's about to kill our people. You need to go talk to the king. Of course, Esther goes back and forth on it, as I would. I mean, good gracious, I can understand why. She was concerned. This guy's he has a short fuse. He just pretty much kills anybody that comes into his presence. Um, but she finally decides, you know, if I die, I die. I think she even says that in, in chapter 4. If I perish, I perish. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. That's what I'm going to do. So she goes in, talks to the king, has this plan that she's cooked up. She's obviously a very, very smart woman, knows exactly how to handle this situation, invites the We'll call him the bad guy, the villain. His name is Haman. She invites him uh, to, a, to a dinner. He thinks he's being honored, but instead what happens, he is uh, being called out for his foolishness, his wickedness, his sinfulness. Of course, he's upset about that, but the king is even more upset, and the king actually uses the exact same gallows that, he was, that Haman was planning to use to kill Mordecai, his, his mortal enemy, those same gallows that he prepared for that purpose, the king says, I want you to hang him on those gallows. So Haman finds his, finds his end. Of course, the story's not over because then, then you've got the fact that there's this, still this law. The king had been sort of duped into passing a law that says all the Jews would be killed. But the king says, listen, Esther, Mordecai, it's in y'all's power. I'm going to go and give you the control. You can do whatever you want to. You can reverse this, you can change this, it's, your control. it's in your control. Of course, they use that power to reverse the order and, of course, uh, be able to, uh, to, to be, able to be uh, free from this oppression. Now, a lot of times when it comes down to the worries and concerns that I have and things that y'all have, 
that's kind of the end of the story. Isn't that how it is? So, you know what happens? Had a terrible situation in my life, but God orchestrated all the details and worked it out. So at the end, I can tell you that God was good. End of story. Isn't that how it normally ends? That's at least how it is most for me. That's my attitude on the thing. But I want you to see in this, in this uh, passage tonight, what we're going to look at tonight, is that there is another part, the last part of the story that I think gets overlooked too many times and needs to be part of every recounting of every story where God does intervene. He intervenes so many times. I mean, we could probably tonight, if we, in fact, if we have a minute and I don't go, as long as I hope I don't go, um, I want to give you an opportunity to praise the Lord. So just keep that in your mind. If you've got a praise, you want to talk about what God has done in your life, I want to give you that opportunity here in a few minutes. So keep that in mind. I don't want to be looking at y'all with crickets creaking in the background. I want somebody to say something in a minute. So y'all be prepared. I know God's good. Y'all got to tell me how good he is. But anyhow, I think we forget that portion. We forget that portion. We're so happy that he fixed it, we forget the last part. There's a lot more to it. We'll take a minute to look at that. Let's pray just a moment, and then we'll look at this passage. Father, please help me to explain to these people that when you work, it's time to get excited. When you work, it's time to get happy. And when you work, it's time to share with other people. And I pray, God, that you'll help us to do that and help us to praise you for what you've done. You are a good God. And you've been so good to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In Esther chapter 9, verses 20, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 20 and 21, you're going to read there, I won't read those verses, but you're going to read there where Mordecai is writing letters. He's writing letters. Got, uh, um, Ahasuerus has put him in, in a position of power. We'll learn a little more about that in chapter, chapter 10. But he's been put in a position of power, and in that position of power, he is using it to write some letters to make a declaration. He is declaring everybody needs to know what God has done for our people. He's letting everybody know what has happened, and he is now establishing an annual celebration. What has God done exactly? Look with me in verse 22. I will read this with you. Look at verse 22. He says, and as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies. He says, God has given us rest from our enemies. There were people who wanted to kill us. There were people who wanted our lives to be over, but God has given us rest from that. Can I just point out here that God has also given us rest from our enemies? There was a devil who would want nothing more than to, to torment you in the fires of hell for the rest of eternity. That's what was, that was what you deserved, and that's what Satan would have been happy for you to have. He was glad for you to be in his grasp, but God redeemed you from hell. He caused you to have rest from your enemies. He says, and the month which was turned in unto them from sorrow to joy. What God has done for the people, he said there, there was a moment where, uh, Mordecai says there was a moment where we were, we were very upset. And if you go back a few chapters, you'll see how upset Mordecai was. He was at the gate and he was in sackcloth and ashes and he was crying out to God. He was absolutely distraught because of what this was going to happen to his people but now they were in mourning or rather they were in in sorrow but now they are in joy because this is what god does he put as the psalmist in psalm 40 verse 3 says he put a new song in my mouth even praise unto our god that's what he does is he comes and even though you might have nothing but bad mouthing to do because you feel like you've everybody's been been against you and everybody's been putting upon you and that might well be true but if you if you've gotten god to intervene in your life you know what he does he puts a new song in your mouth he gives you joy where you might have even had legitimate sorrow but he gives you joy 
It goes on to say there that, and from mourning, so he's turned them from sorrow to joy, and from mourning into a good day. I just like the way that's read there, the good day. Y'all ever had a bad day? I mean, just one of those days where just like when you got up, it just started out wrong, and it just went downhill from there. But on the other hand, you ever had a good day where you look back? I, I, sometimes I, it doesn't happen that often, but every now and again, I look back at sort of, it's, you know, about 8, 9, 10 o'clock, somewhere around in there, and you kind of just winding the day down. And you look back and say, that was a good day. That was a good You ever had one of those? Well, what God does is he takes that day that started out just like it was just going nowhere fast. He takes that day and he turns it around into one of those days where you say, wow, that was a pretty good day. That's what he does. That's what our God does. He turns our morning into a good day. You see, Romans 6, 23, I think, is a beautiful illustration of this. The wages of sin was death. Now, that's pretty bad. I don't care who you are. But you know what he says? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So that's what he does. He takes something terrible and he turns it into something amazing. That's the way our God works. And what are they going to do as a result? Go back to verse 22. He says, now because of what God has done, this is what we're going to do. He says, that they should make them days of feasting and joy. We're going to have a good time, is what he says. We're just going to have a good time. Every time I think about feasting and joy, I think about Christmas at my in-law's house. There's just so many people there. There's so much food there. There's so many desserts there. You, if you don't go into a diabetic coma, you aren't even trying I mean, it is just everything is there. That's what it makes me think of, just a feasting and joy. That's what they're, they're going to just enjoy this. He goes on to say, and of sending portions one to another. In a way of thinking about this, we, we can think about the fact that they're going to start sending gifts to each other. Y'all do this at Christmas time. I do it at Christmas time. You know, you give a gift to somebody. That, why are you doing that? Well, you're celebrating. Well, I think sometimes we kind of get into doing it because we feel like we have to, feel like we're supposed to do it because it's the tradition of the season. I'd like to just, I know it's not Christmas time, it's June out there, but I'd like to encourage you next Christmas come around, let's try to enjoy it. When you're giving those gifts, do it out of celebration. My goodness, that's why they're doing it. They're giving gifts to each other. They're trying to help each other out. They enjoy what God has blessed them with, so they're going to just try to give a little bit of it to somebody else. And then he goes on to say that they're going to not only send them to one another and gifts to the poor. So there's some people out there that need a little extra help, and they said, well, God has blessed us so much, so we're going to actually help those people that are in need. Like I said, I think it sounds exactly like Christmas to me. It's the way Christmas ought to be. Why are we doing it? It reminds me of why we're doing Christmas, because we've been given the greatest gift that ever was in Jesus Christ, and it wouldn't hurt us. And I think that, again, I know that our motives get all twisted up when it comes to Christmas. It does. It's so secularized, but think about it. If you could just think about, I'm giving these gifts, I'm enjoying this food, I'm enjoying these family gatherings, I'm enjoying all of these things. If you're, if you're able to help those less fortunate, all those things that you're able to do, know that you're doing them, if you could just do them out of celebration of God's grace to us. That would be amazing. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm telling y'all something I haven't done yet, I'm going to try to do that this Christmas, because I think it'll make it a lot more enjoyable. The point is, when God gets to work, and God's going to work, and he's, he's actually working in so many ways that sometimes we don't even recognize, but if we would just pay attention to him working, when he works, the, in, the instruction to us is, let's celebrate. 
It's time to celebrate. This is not a time to be all, all, all sour-faced. This is not a time to be all, oh, bless the Lord. I mean, this is not, I mean, this is like, get happy about it. God's done something. Get excited about it. Throw a party. God has made something, accomplish, accomplish something for us. Let's get happy about it. Here we have God's chosen people, and he says, listen, because God has turned this thing around on us and turned something that was bad into something good, we're just going to have a celebration. We're going to have a party. Now, when God gets to work, we not only need to celebrate, but we also need to never forget what God has done. I want you to see this in, in verse, um, well, verse 23. He says that they understood what he, that undertook what he, what he told them to do and, and because of all the things that he had written. But I want you to notice that, uh, that, that they remind, if you go to verse 24, let me, I'm sorry, let me stop a second and go back to what it says there. In verse 23, and the Jews undertook to what to do as they had begun, and as Mordecai had written unto them. So they said, listen, we, we agree with you, uh, Mordecai, we're going to do this. Verse 24, they, they remember uh, how Haman planned to destroy the whole nations, what they're talking about there. So they said, we're going to do this because there was something bad that was going to happen. We're going to do this because in verse 25, because we have a queen, Esther, who saved us because she went to the king on our behalf. And they're going to call this the Feast of Purim. They're going to call this the Feast of Purim. And they agree in verse 27 and 28, I want you to see this. Verse 27, the Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail that they would keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year. They actually said, not only are we going to remember all the things that happened, the way Esther worked and the way Haman did, but we're going to actually do this as an annual celebration. Did you know that, that the Jewish people, the people that, that are Jewish obser observant Jews, continue to this day to celebrate this, uh, this, this uh, remembrance? It was actually just celebrated back in March this year, in 2020, it was just celebrated. It's usually a sundown on one day to the sundown of the next day. They do this as a, as a big feast, a big celebration. It is what they tell me. I'm not a practicing Jew, so I couldn't tell you personally from personal experience, but they tell me it is one of the most joyful, most jubilant days on the Jewish uh, calendar. It is, that is what it is considered because they are looking back to something that God had done for them. And in verses 29 to 32, they document this. They write this down. Here's exactly what we're going to do. We, they write it down. This is going to happen. And I want, I want to make sure that we take this to heart, what is going on here. I, I recognize this is a principle. I recognize that God did something very specific for the Jewish nation. But, but let's not ever forget what God has done for us. Let's not ever forget what God has done for us. How the fact that we were bound for hell, but God sent his only begotten son into the world to save us. And, that, and that's great on a co cosmic sort of corporate level, but let's not ever forget the fact that there was a day about 75 years ago that there were a group of people that got together and established this church, McConnell Road Baptist Church. We're going to celebrate that, by the way, this October, 75 years of God's faithfulness right here. So let's not ever forget that, that yes, we know that, we, we, that Jesus died for us, but how does this community know that Jesus died for them? The way that God prescribed for that to happen was for local churches like this one to be here for a long time and to have a faithful witness 
to their community. That's what God's plan was, and that ought to be celebrated. Now, I know I, you say, well, this is June. That's not till October. First of all, it's going to get here before we know it. We lost a lot of time for COVID and all kinds of stuff, but just I'm trying to get it into your minds that when God does something amazing, we need to not just say, yep, he did it. Thank you, Jesus, and move on. Sometimes, and I think it's not everything necessarily, but there are some things that God does that we ought to just go ahead and document down that date, that moment, that time, and let's just plan to celebrate it every year. It's what we do here. I want you to know that's what homecoming is supposed to be. I don't know that, like I said, like a lot of things, it kind of gets twisted through tradition and through history, but that's what it's supposed to be, is to say that God spoke to some people I know that Brother Ellis was a big part of that. In the middle of that, he was, but there were some other people that joined around him that got around him and said, let's do this, let's make this church here. And I don't believe that's the devil's work. The devil doesn't do that sort of thing. This is God ordaining that. And you and I, yes, I, I, I never met Pastor Ellis. I never met some of the folks who were starting this church. I, I actually personally have never met uh, Pastor Wright and some of the predecessors here. But just because I don't know them or you don't know them, that doesn't mean that God has not, in fact, it, God has absolutely used them to establish this here. And there ought to be some joy in our hearts to say, man, I get to be part of that. That is something that I get to be part of that. Another, another milestone that some of y'all need to mark, if you don't mark it already, I have to admit that it's fallen off of my radar and my own mind about myself. But when Jesus saved you, you ought to, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying you have to know, I'm not one of these people that say you've got to know the date and the hour and the minute and all that. You don't have to know that. God saves you because of his grace, not because of your memory. Don't, don't miss that. But that said, when you can think back, and I can remember I was a young child, but about 40 years ago, on a September, on Sunday night in September, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And there ought to be something like that, whether it's a specific moment or time, or just pick a moment in time. Just know if you're saved and you know that Jesus saved you, pick a moment and just say, I'm going to just celebrate that. I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm not saying you have to go get a big meal, although if you do, you can go ahead and invite me and I'll come. And I'll celebrate it right there along with you. But I'm not saying you have to do that, but somehow you need to memorialize these moments in time that God has done something for you. Make a habit of noting those important victories that God has given you. Some of you can mark how long that God has given you sobriety, uh, victory over alcohol. Some of you can note particular moments where God has healed you from a disease, and you can say, yes, that particular moment, he healed me from that particular thing. There may be some of you that can say, you know, I, I lost my job, but God gave me another job at this point, and you ought, to rem, you ought to mark that memory. You ought to remember those times where, and I can think of two right now in my mind, where I felt emotionally distraught, and I was at that sort of that emotional bottom, but then the Lord came in and gave me hope. We ought to mark those times in our minds. Maybe you want to write the date down. Maybe you just want to put it in your mind, kind of tuck it away. But however you need to do it, but there's something about never forgetting that God has done something for you and celebrating that in some way. Maybe it's a big feast. Maybe it's just stopping a minute praying. Maybe it's going into a prayer closet and spending a little bit of time thanking the Lord for that particular situation. You do it however you need to do it, but I'm encouraging you to never forget when God gets to work in your life. When God gets to work, we need to celebrate, we need to never forget, but 
also when God gets to work, it also means it's opportunity for us to use what he's done for us. I want you to see this in chapter 10. I'm going to skip all the way to chapter 10. There's only three verses in this passage, uh, in this chapter, but you'll see that in verse 3, and that's really the verse I want to emphasize here, in verse 3, that Mordecai has been exalted by God. Let's just read that together. He says, Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus. So he's been exalted by God. He was already kind of in a position of power and authority in the kingdom, but God has now put him up, and the, the indication here being next to King Ahasuerus is that God exalted him actually to be sort of second in command in the king, kingdom. And this is not a small deal. This is a big deal that, that Mordecai has been put there. He's been given a position of influence. It also says there not only has he been given that position, it says he's been great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren. So he's not only been given a position of, of influence by, the, by, the, uh, by God, so he now has opportunity to influence the king's decisions, but he also has the respect and the authority that goes with it among the people. They actually look at him and say, this is a man we're willing to listen to. And I say that because I, have you ever been in position, some of y'all may have, I know I've been there, where you've got the title, but nobody wants to listen to you? Yeah, you're the boss, but nobody is going to listen to you. I've had been there before. Like, yep, Matthew, you're in charge. And everybody else is like, yeah, right, he's in charge. <laughs> this is not where Mordecai is. God says, you're second in command. And everybody looks and says, yes, we respect his authority. And that's an important, uh, important position to be in. Do understand before I go any further that the only person who can give you this kind of elevated position to put you in that position of influence, to give you the respect, the authority that something is needed there, whatever that elevation may look like, God is the only one who can do that. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. That's what God does. He exalts. If we, as James says, James 4.10, if we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. So this is what God does. If we will say, listen, God, we recognize you're the only one that can do this. He will put us where he wants us. And I'm not saying he's going to make you second in command. I don't think any of us are getting, well, maybe some of y'all might, but I'm not getting a call to be the vice president anytime soon. I don't think that's going to happen. Although if God wants it, that's what we'll do. But the point is not so much that you're going to be second in command as much as that God's going to put you where he wants you. And when he puts you where he wants you, you're not going to have to worry about, oh, is this where I need to be? No, if God puts you there, you're just going to be ready to do the work. But when God puts, when he exalts us, when he lifts us up, we need to understand that, yes, it's a time to celebrate. Mordecai said that. It's a time to never forget what God's done. But it's also a time for us to be a help where we can be a help. Look at what Mordecai does with this position. He says, and after he's accepted the, the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people. He, gave, he, was, he was given power and position, and he used it to seek the wealth of his people. Too many people that are in authority, this is a side note, too many people that are in authority use their authority to aggrandize themselves. The best leaders, the best governors, the best presidents, the best anything, any position of authority, the best ones are those who use that position in order to help the people that they're supposed to be serving. And y'all know this because those are the kind of people you want to vote for. Those are the kind of people you want to fall in line behind. Those are the kind of people you want to work for. But the, the problem is there's too many that don't. 
But here we have a man who's seeking the wealth of his people. He's given power and position, so he uses it to help other people. He's also given peace and hope. God had given, God had orchestrated this so that the children of Israel were no longer under threat of death. They have had the peace and hope. And look what he does. And he's speaking peace to all of his seed. The last phrase there, speaking peace to all his seed. He used that peace and hope that he had been given to speak peace to his seed, his children, his family, the others. I think that seed would refer to all of the Jewish nation. And he, would have, he would have been speaking peace and hope to them. The big point I'm trying to get across to you here is that when God does amazing things, and he will do amazing things, he has done amazing things, he doesn't stop doing amazing things, we need to stop a minute and recognize, thank you, Lord, you did it. We need to never stop thanking him every year, every three months, however often, thank you, Lord, for what you did back then. But when he does that, he is often giving us a gift it might be as Mordecai being elevated in position. So we have a position of authority, a position of responsibility. It might be some comfort in our hearts, especially some of you that have lost loved ones. You've been given a measure of comfort after that passing of that loved one. It might be some of you that have financial uh, rewards that the Lord has given to you, some success that he's given to you. He's given you some, some financial blessing. There may be any number of things that God does as a result of his working. When he gives that to you, he didn't give it to you for you to say thank you and then go giggling like a little youngin' to go do what you want to with it. He gave it to you for the purpose of helping somebody else. That's why he gives us these gifts. So when God works, let's take the gifts that he gave us, let's be grateful for them, but let's go use them. Use them for his glory, use them for his honor. Use them for his uh, worship. Too often, I think we struggle in prayer and worry over a matter, as we rightly should. But then we give up the whole thing the minute God intervenes. It's literally as if we're sitting there just grieving. God answers the prayer, and then immediately, whew, we've forgotten that there was ever a problem to begin with. It's great to know that we know the only one who can change the situation. I'm glad that I know that. But we dare not be like the lepers in Luke 17. You know, there were 10 lepers that came to Jesus. Do you all remember this story? 10 lepers. They all said, listen, we need healing. And Jesus healed them. He said, go show yourself to the, the priest. And they go off and do what they're supposed to do. But then one of them comes back. And he worships Jesus. Now, what happens to the other nine? As far as I know, they still got their healing. I don't think God took it from them. I, there was no indication that they took it from them. But there says something, it says something about the healing that needs to happen in their heart, that they weren't grateful for what the Lord had done for them. And I think too many of us are like the nine lepers. God's done some wonderful things for us. Has he not? And I hope at least one or two of y'all are ready to share what some of the things God's done for you. And that's what I'm asking for in just a minute. But he's done some wonderful things for us. Can we not just stop a minute and say, thank you, Lord. Let's be like that one man who came back. Praise and worship God for what he's done. For who's shown himself to be in our lives. And never forget it. Commemorate it every chance we get. And then take what we've been given and use it to help somebody else. And by the way, when you do help somebody else, it wouldn't hurt to acknowledge where you got it from. Hey, I got this because God helped me in this circumstance. Let me give this to you if I can. 
that would be a wonderful thing if we would take that. And I think it starts with that attitude of gratefulness, goes on with that continued commemoration, and then when we use it, we'll recognize what we got. And let's use it for someone else. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.